One of our guiding values at Woodland Church has always been that Woodland would be a safe place to come with a very dangerous message. That people would come to this place, whoever comes on this campus, whether it's a UPS driver, whether it's a police officer, whether it's a, uh, the guy who sprays our church each month to take care of any pests that we might have, whoever comes, the lost who come to visit, everyone that comes will feel two things and know two things for sure, that God loves them, we love them, that they matter to God and they matter to us. It's one of the guiding principles of this congregation. But along with that principle is we want this to be a safe place for the dangerous message. For the message of Jesus Christ is simply this, that if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross and you have to follow me, which means we die to ourselves. Let me illustrate this this morning, if I could. Suppose I went to Dr. Gilreath and I went in for a physical checkup and I said, Dr. Gilreath, I need a good physical exam. And so when I get done with the exam or he gets done and he gives me my report, he says to me, you are an absolute specimen of physical health. You are just the outstanding model of everything a healthy man ought to be. Well, I leave his office feeling really, really good. And when I go to the hospital to visit, I never take the elevator. I always use the, the stairs. And let's suppose that week I am climbing the stairs at Oakwood in Dearborn, and suddenly I collapse on the stairs and I have a heart attack. And the cardiac surgeon there tells me, you know, you were just one jelly donut away from death. I mean, that's just how bad your health is. And so later I see Dr. G and I said, Dr. G, you told me I was a specimen of physical health. And he said to me, Look, Pastor, I just wanted you to feel good. I wanted you to know that you were loved. Would that be the way you would want your doctor to speak to you? Of course not. And we know Dr. Gilreath would never do any such thing as that. All right, let's suppose I took my car to Vito at True Care Auto, and I said, Vito, I need you to tune up my car. I don't even know if we still do tune-ups anymore. I can't remember the last time somebody told me to have a tune-up, but I said, Vito, look over my car, and we take off to go see our grandchildren, and the car breaks down, and I call Vito, and I said, Vito, you said the car was in great shape. And he says, Pastor, I just wanted you to feel good. I wanted you to come back because people who come back feel good. Well, we would never, ever want somebody to tell us that. So my message this morning is just simply entitled, Who's Telling the Truth? Because truth has suffered a lot in the days that we're living in. I just recently downloaded the 2020 Gallup survey of some of the most trusted people in the nation. And I've got news for you. It's not a very encouraging thing. If you're interested in who is the most trusted in the nation, the most trusted in the nation are our nurses. Let's give the nurses a hand. We've got a lot of nurses that worship with us at Woodland. You know, people like myself, we're somewhere right in the middle, and, you know, we're actually on kind of a bit of a climb back up from where we were at after all of the scandals that took place in the last part of the last century. And now, if you want to know who's at the bottom, and by the way, it's kind of interesting to me for those of you who teach in college, college professors were right there along with us as clergy members as well. I found that interesting. But if right at the bottom was used car salesmen, and then congressmen, and then senators, right at the very bottom of the list. And I don't think that comes as any surprise to any of us. Truth has suffered. 
in our society, oftentimes, our feelings trump the facts. What we think about something trumps the facts because we want truth to be what we feel matters and what's important to us. Machiavelli said in his book that most every politician I know has ever read has says, politics has hardly ever been synonymous with truthfulness. The princes who do great things have considered keeping their word of little account and have been known to beguile men's minds by shrewdness and cunningness. In 2006, Stephen Colbert coined the word of the year, and the word of the year was truthiness. And what truthiness meant was it feels right, or if it's not true, it should be true. And though Colbert is a comedian, it's been amazing to me how many people tune to him for his news. But it's not something that we should be so surprised at in our nation. You know, as far back as I can remember, back in the 50s, there was McCarthyism as he was on his witch hunt for those American, un-American things that were taking place in our nation that still makes for good television and good movie shows. The 1960s saw the beginning of what we call paranoid politics. Even when George W. Bush was the president of the United States, there was a rumor that was started that many on the far left still believe and has come to be accepted as truth in much of the Arab world, and that was that 9-11 was an inside job, that we really were not attacked by terrorists, but that we had done that to ourselves in order to start a war in the Middle East. Sometimes I wonder if the Soviet era, Soviet era of disinformation hasn't come to our society that we're living in today. Daniel Kahneman, a Nobel Prize-winning psychologist and the author of the great book, Thinking Fast and Slow, he says human beings have a tendency to steer clear of facts that would force their brains to work harder. Now, don't miss that. Human beings have a tendency to steer clear of facts that would force their brains to work harder. In other words, what he's saying is, is that we try to avoid any facts that would cause us to sit down and to think. And the Bible has a lot to say about things like that. As a matter of fact, one time the Lord invites us in the book of Isaiah. He says, come, let's sit down and let us reason together. Let's think together. And so, God invites you and I to thoughtful worship. God invites you and I to thoughtful politics. God invites you and I to thoughtful living, whether it's about parenting or grandparenting, whether it's about worship or any other fact in life, God invites us to thoughtfulness. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, one of my favorite descriptions of worship where God tells us that we're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, thinking along the lines of the Scripture, God says this is your reasonable, say that with me, reasonable, say it one more time, reasonable or thoughtful worship. Worship is a matter, isn't a matter of feeling. I love it when I feel good when I worship like this morning, but on those days when I don't feel good, I still command my soul to praise the Lord. On those days when things aren't going very well, I still command my soul to praise the Lord because worship is a thoughtful, reasonable way. And in the day that we're living, I think it's become the information glut that has become the new censorship because there's just so much information on Facebook, on Twitter, or whatever your social media choice is. There's just so much out there that you find it hard to know what to believe. Recently, I read a college lecture 
on journalism. It caused me to read a book on reforming journalism. And I sh Becky and I shared that book, a book review on that, in our Friday uh, daily prayer update, if you're interested in that, by Marvin Olasky. Anyway, after having read that survey and how that articles can sometimes be misleading, surely this will lead to, or this must happen. Some of the words that are used in journalism today, predicting what's going to happen with climate change or the economy, isn't based upon fact, but is based upon what the journalist thinks is going to happen as a result. And so with those words, the article can be presented as an honest journalistic or an honest news report, as long as such prepositional phrases surely this must lead to. Well, friends, this is a bit alarming to me, not only as a father and a grandfather, a husband and a pastor, and a leader in our community, it's alarming to me because truth is sacred. Truth matters. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? So the important thing is not how I feel about a fact. The important thing is not how I feel about an election or a fact or anything else. The important thing is what is the truth. In John chapter 18 and verse 37, when Jesus was standing before Pilate, Pilate said to Jesus, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. You should underline that in your outline this morning. I came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Let me read that sentence again that our Savior said. All who love the truth will recognize that what I say is true. And I am sure that the scripture passage that Pastor Corey read to you earlier this morning that's in your outline on your app or on the website if you're following along with us, I am sure that the apostle was thinking back to these words that Jesus spoke when he wrote those words, that all who know the truth listen to us. Pilate then said to him, what is truth? What is truth? Some years ago, I attended... A, one of my courses on working towards my master's, I attended a course on postmodernism. We spent several hours discussing in that course the postmodern concept of truth and how that your truth may not be my truth and our truth may not be somebody else's truth and nobody's truth is sacred. And I remember as we went through that postmodern presentation, I thought surely no one could ever buy into that because truth is truth, you know? Facts are facts. And yet we live in a day when the fact checkers turned out to be wrong about the facts they check. And so I feel especially sorry for those. And I mean that with compassion and I mean that with love. I feel deep sympathy for those who do not have a biblical grounding, who do not have a biblical worldview you in order to understand what is the truth about life and what really matters. Because life has to be based more on what you feel about something. Life has to be based more on what you or I think about something. Our eternity depends on what is the truth. Our future depends upon what is the truth. And if you're somebody like me and you don't know very much about electricity and you try to fix something electrical, your life may depend on the truth. 
The fact that I think or I feel like it ought to work doesn't make it so. Can you say amen? I mean, it's important that we understand that. So how do we know truth? Number one, number one, we remain in fellowship with Christ. We remain in fellowship with Christ. That word fellowship is not just me and Jesus have got our own thing going, but it's that you and I, this is wrote, wrote to the church, that you and I remain in fellowship together in Christ. You need a church family to worship with. You need a small group to do life with. You need people that you can pray with. And though last night we had led a prayer service for an hour online for those that joined Becky and I online, when we went to bed at 9 o'clock, I called Amy into the room, and we prayed one more time for the service today and over ourselves and our family because there's something about a family being together in fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's so neat when one of your grandchildren say to you, Papa, will you pray for me? And it's so neat when one of your grandchildren come to see you, when you come to visit them, and he kneels down beside you when you're sitting down, and he says, Papa, I asked Jesus to send you to our house, and he did. It's so neat to see the fellowship of a family in a congregation and to experience experience answers to prayer together. In 1 John chapter 3 that Pastor Corey read to you this morning, let's read this together. And this is his commandment, we must believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them, and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gives us lives in us. Would you circle three words in that verse of Scripture this morning? Circle the word believe, circle the word love, and circle the word obey. I'd like to make a comment about each of those three words briefly this morning. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus means to follow Jesus. Believe in Jesus doesn't just mean to believe in him as a historical figure. A lot of people believe about Christ. Even the devils believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But to believe means to follow God. Paul wrote in Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, he said, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. There are some folks that call Woodland Church their home that they tell me this is how they live their lives, trying to prove that Jesus Christ was not who he said he was. And then eventually the Holy Spirit touched their heart and convicted them of their sins, and they became passionate followers of Christ himself. Two of them are pastors today. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, the Bible says God sent Christ to be our sacrifice, and Christ offered his life's blood so that by faith in him we could come to God. What does that mean? You believe in Christ, you put your faith in him, then you get to know God. And God did this to show that in the past he was right to be patient and forgive sinners. This also shows that God is right when he accepts people who have faith in Jesus. This is a part of that dangerous message that I was talking about just a few moments ago. We want our congregation to be safe. We want it to be welcoming to people who agree and disagree with us. 
But you need to know the message is very, very intense. The message is an intense message of love. It's an intense message of acceptance. It's an intense message of power. And it's an intense message that will destroy your old way of life and bring a new life as you trust in Christ Jesus to wash away your sins, putting away all other gods and following Jesus Christ alone. The second word I'd like you to look at this morning is the word love, to love one another. Boy, that word love can be a tricky word because love is often associated in our society and in our culture with feelings and emotions, and there are feelings and emotions about it. This morning, my bride came and kissed me because she leaves before I do to meet with the praise team, and she came and kissed me and gave me a hug goodbye this morning, and I looked at her and that twinkle in her eyes, and I still just feel that thrill of joy after over 40 years of marriage. And to be honest with you, as a young person, I worried that that thrill and that joy would go away. Listen to a 65-year-old grandpa this morning, where there's snow on this rooftop, but there's still a fire in this fireplace. You see, love manifests itself in us. Love manifests itself in feelings and joy. Love manifests itself in passion. But sometimes love manifests itself in willpower as well. Because there have been times when Becky and I haven't agreed on things. There have been times when we didn't see things the same way. But our love caused us to be committed to one another and to work through those things. So John goes on to write in verse 7, dear friends, Friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. Now, let me say something. Love is not God. That's an important point. Because love as the world understands it, love would never go to the cross for its enemies. Love as the world understands it would never lay down its life for its enemies. You see, love, God's love, sent Christ to the cross. That's a dangerous message, to die for our sins. We have a problem. Without Jesus Christ, we will die and go to hell. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we not only inherit a new way of living, an overcoming life, a victorious life, but when I breathe my last breath, I will step immediately into the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And only God's love could do that for me. If you doubt what I'm saying, listen to people who sing popular songs about love, whether it's country and western, whether it's rock and roll, or whatever your genre of music is, listen to the way they speak about people who disagree with their politics. Listen to the way they speak about people who see life differently, whether it comes to sexuality or whether it comes to economy, whatever it is. You see, the love of the world is based upon feelings, as journalists have said that I read to you earlier. But real love is that sacrificial love that God showed in sending His Son to die for our sins, and that you show as a mother and a father every day for the children that you care about, when you're willing to go without in order to be sure that your children have because you deeply love them and care for them. But then the third word that's kind of tricky here is the word obey, because many people want to say, I believe in Jesus, but not obey Jesus. And that word obedience is huge. 
I remember Dr. Robert Spence, the president of Evangel University, where our third son went to school. Dr. Spence said that one time when he was disciplining his son, John, who was a friend of mine, he was disciplining John, and, and John was just being very defiant. And so Dr. Spence told John, he says, John, sit down now. And so John, with that fiery temper that he's got as a little boy, he sat down and he looked up at his daddy and he says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside I'm standing up. <laughs> Can't you imagine a youngin doing that, excuse me, a child doing that? Can't you imagine that kind of response and that kind of reply? You see, it's a delightful thing to obey the Lord. Once you know Jesus, now listen, because this is important. Obeying his commands becomes a delight. It's what Psalms 119 is all about, is David takes and writes this acrostic from the alphabet of the joys of obeying God's word and keeping God's word. We're not saved by our obedience, but as we obey him, we experience the fullness of all of God's blessings. The important thing Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7:19 is to keep God's commandments. Well, what is God's commandments? Jesus said they can be summed up like this that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you might say to me, Pastor, how do I know if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's a great question. I ask myself that all the time. Matter of fact, before I came to church this morning, I asked myself that question again. I prayed about that question. And the best way I know to deal with it is by journaling and examining my actions every day, having prayer partners that can speak into your life, by going to the Lord and saying, Lord, saying it over and over and over again, I do love you. I do want to please you. And then show me, Lord, the way I should walk in and the paths that I choose, that I should choose. You do that every day, and the more you do that, then your thoughts and your footsteps, your decisions, how you speak, how you write, how you interact with other people. They become spirit-directed because you're keeping the commands of God to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which helps you then to fulfill the second great commandment that Jesus said, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. I went to bed last night, and just as I was going to sleep, I remembered a neighbor of mine had a birthday. I'm not real good at Facebook. We post on there every day, but... I just thought that maybe he needed an encouragement, so I reached over on the floor beside our bed. I picked up my iPad, and I just sent out a real quick message to him to say, hey, I remember today was your birthday, and I just want to say happy birthday. I hope you had a great day. Blessings, and boom, almost immediately I got a response. You see, when you let the Holy Spirit guide you, he will even bring thoughts that as simple as that to your mind. You say, how does he do it? Well, let me read to you from the message, because sin will block, listen, sin will block the love of God and the love for your neighbor. Don't ever forget what I just told you. If you're listening online, understand the seriousness of sin, not only what it's doing to your life, but you will mistake love for feelings rather than what it truly is, the sacrificial laying down of your life for someone else. So look at this verse of Scripture with me. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. You are important to God. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, our human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it was, was fractured by fractured human nature, could have never done that. 
the law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. So what's the, the, the apostle saying there? He's saying this, it's not keeping the commandments that saves us. It's not keeping the commandments that help us to know the truth. It's what Christ did that destroys the power of sin in us so that we delight in the law of God rather than despise the law of God. Let me say that again. So that we delight in the law of God rather than despise the law of God. And one of the ways you know whether you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is do you love what the Word of God says and do you enjoy putting it into practice every day for this is your reasonable, your thoughtful, spiritual worship, and you become a discerner of truth. Secondly, this morning, trust God's Holy Spirit within you. Trust God's Holy Spirit within you. And the reason John refers to this is because in that day, as Pastor Corey read to you just a few moments ago, and that day as in our day, the spirit of Antichrist was already at work. There were people trying to divide the church. There were people denying that Jesus was who he said he was. And so they were trying to start their own organizations. And so John was very concerned about the personage of Jesus and who Jesus was. And unlike some popular novel writers today who want to say that none of the apostles ever thought Jesus was divine, that was made up 300 years later, nothing could be further from the truth. And true and accurate history records that as well. They knew who Jesus was, and so John is writing to them, and he said that spirit of Antichrist denies who Jesus is. And there's two things to note from what Pastor Corey read to you this morning. There's not only the Holy Spirit that lives in those of us who put our faith in Christ, but there is an evil spirit at work in our world today. But remember this, there is no comparison, there is no comparison, there is no comparison between God the Holy Spirit and the devil. The devil is a crushed and defeated foe and has no power over those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You say, well, pastor, you, all right, if you believe that, but is that true? Well, I believe from cover to cover the Word of God is true. The Bible has stood the test of time that Machiavelli has never stood the test of time of. Caesar has never stood the test of time. The monarchs of Europe, the emperors of China, no one can compare to the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is still worshiped around the world from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. And these are the words of God to us this morning. Children, Woodland Church, you belong to God and you have defeated these enemies and God's Spirit is in you and is more powerful than the one that is in the world. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah! Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Richard Gallagher, a psychologist, writing in the Washington Post, Richard Gallagher was writing about the reality of having to deal with people who were oppressed of the devil. And he said, I know that many don't want to believe this. He said, but there are many people that the battles are facing. They're not chemical. They're not physical. They're not even psychological. But they are being oppressed by dark powers and demons. He says, my careful observation of the evidence presented to me in my career has led me to believe that certain extremely uncommon cases can be explained no other way. 
when I worked in mental health, the psychiatrist that I worked with sat me down one day and he said, Dennis, there are some things that take place that psychiatry and medicine cannot explain. It can only be explained by oppression from the devil. He said, now, I am not a Christian, but I want you to know with your tenets of faith, I agree on that this morning. And what surprised me after reading and saving Dr. Gallagher's article from the Washington Post was how many people who do not have a biblical worldview were writing in antagonism and hatred towards Dr. Gallagher for stating this in the Washington Post. And that's what John is getting at when he talks about the people who refuse to listen because they don't belong to Jesus Christ. I love what one of the church fathers, Antony of Egypt, wrote. He said, demons are very cowardly, always anxious about the fire that has been prepared for them. To bolster your courage against them, take this sure sign. When some apparition occurs, do not collapse in terror. But whatever it may be, ask first bravely, who are you and where did you come from? If it is a divine vision, it will give you assurances and change your fear to joy. If it is some devil, it will be immediately weakened by your formidable spirit. Never forget, demons are cowardly. The devil knows his time is short and the fires of hell await them, but you and I have been born again to a living hope, and when we breathe our last breath, we go into the presence of our Heavenly Father this morning. It is so important that we keep that in mind. So you say, Pastor, how do I do that? First of all, listen to the spirit of truth. Listen to what the Bible says. Read your Bible carefully. Study your Bible. Make notes in your Bible. Don't just use a study Bible of what somebody else has said, but buy a Bible with wide margins and write in the side and put the date and time where you felt like the Holy Spirit directed you to that promise or that command to obey or that prophecy. In 1 John 4, 6, those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. That is how we know if they have the spirit of truth or if they have the spirit of deception. I love what Oswald Chambers wrote about this. Our Lord was never impatient. He simply planted seed thoughts. We get impatient and take men by the scruff of the neck and say, you must believe this and that. You cannot make anyone see moral truth by persuading his intellect. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he shall guide you into all truth. You see, these words from the Word of God and these words from Oswald Chambers have been a great help to me when it comes to sharing my faith. I never try to argue or disagree with anybody, but it's amazing how many people are truly willing to listen when you're reasonable and you sit down and talk with them. Share the scripture, plant to see the thought, let the Lord work upon their hearts. Have confidence not in your abilities. My confidence doesn't rest on my ability to communicate or my ability to persuade. My confidence is in the Holy Spirit working through the word of the Lord. Can we give him another hand of praise for that this morning? Have confidence in the spirit of truth. Second thing, remember this, God has made his home in you. God has made his home in you. Young couple that have moved away from our church, I love them so much. I did their wedding. I led him to Christ, and we became close. He became like another son. He would come to our home. 
I had told him one day, I said, I just want you to make yourself at home when you come. So he would come into our house. He would go to the refrigerator without asking. He'd go in the pantry without asking. He'd go upstairs without asking. And you never go upstairs without asking Becky if you're a guest in our house. Don't you love a two-story house, ladies? Don't you love that? But he would just made him, he would come take off his shoes, put his feet up in the sofa. And I have to tell you, I loved it. And he was, if he's listening online today, he's a professor in a university. If he's listening online, he knows exactly who I'm talking about. I loved it. I loved that he made himself at home. And one night, we were watching a football game together. And yesterday was a dark, dark day for Georgia. A dark, dark day. So just the fact that I'm preaching, you know that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. So as I, as I asked him one night as we were watching a football game, he said, you know, Pastor, you told me make myself at home. And when I come here, I feel at home. God has made his home in you. I don't know if he takes off his shoes. I don't know what he does, but I do know this. I love the fact that the address of God is in the heart of born-again believers washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't you? That's where the heart of God, that's where the kingdom of God is. So Jesus goes on in John 14, verse 23, and he says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And then in John 15, verse 9, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Isn't that an amazing thought? God loves you. Listen to how he loves you. Jesus says, the way my Father has loved me, that's how he loves you. So that's a part of this dangerous message. You'll never know what real love is until you come to know Jesus Christ. And then he tells us, make yourselves at home in my love. And I pray that you do that today. I pray with all, I have prayed for you watching online. I pray for you that have come to worship with us at Woodland today, that you will make your home in Christ. And you say, how do I do that? You do that simply by admitting what is true about every one of us, that we are sinners in need of what Christ did for us at Calvary when Jesus died for our sins. Trust him. And as he comes into your heart, he will transform you and make you a new person. Don't worry about your ability to keep the commandments. I can't keep the commandments on my own. You've got to understand, I can't do this on my own. But God's spirit living within us makes us more than overcomers because greater is he that's within us than he's in the world. And you might say to me this morning, well, pastor, how do we discern truth? I don't have time to go through the growth work this morning. But I'd like you to look at this passage of Scripture as I close this morning. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. So to the journalistic author who did the lecture at the university that I quoted earlier, a successful author, and I've enjoyed reading his books, Michael Crichton. When he says to a group of journalism students, it's hard to know the truth when you use phrases like, it should be, or surely it will lead to, or you can see this happening. He said, that's not based upon fact, that's based upon your feelings. 
or to those who believe in Machiavelli that the way to get ahead is through deceit and cunning. Maybe to say to a nation, you know, nothing's going to happen at the Gulf of Tonkin, and then we go into the Vietnam War. Or maybe to keep stirred up the hatred and the animus because you dislike a president, and so you start a rumor like that was an inside job. We took down those buildings. You see, truth matters. And I don't like the fact that as a pastor, I'm in the middle of that credibility poll. I don't like the fact this morning that some circles, the church has lost its bearing on what truth is. The church is not about politics. The church is not about prosperity. The church is not about healing. The church is about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we preach the truth, God will give us understanding, whether it's an economy or art or education. God will give us understanding of these things. So here are just some simple questions. The reason there's a blank there is because that can be for a teacher, a preacher, a journalist. It can be for whatever. What does, let's just use my name, what does pastor teach about Jesus, the blood and the cross? And I give you a verse of scripture. What does pastor teach about worldly error? Leonard Sweet, a, a cultural observer and a theologian, says this culture hasn't gotten more secular. If anything, it's more superstitious. And then I give you another verse of Scripture. What does pastor or teacher or whoever you're reading by, what do they teach about man, sin, and repentance? And then number four, what is pastor's or teacher's source of truth? You see, it's not a new problem. The thing that the Apostle John was dealing with, we still deal with today. And I'm asking you this morning to make a decision. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust Jesus? Are you going to trust God? The only one who's ever lived, who's seen the other side? Are you going to trust the one who created you, the heavens and the earth, and loves you? And I believe that somewhere out there or in here, somebody's heart is being stirred right now. I believe that. I've been praying for you this week that you would put your faith and your trust not in the truth teller, but in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life for you. Would you stand with me this morning and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we bow before you. We surrender to you, Lord. As much as we know how, we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we pray for those, Lord, as a church right now who may be here or may be listening online today or later. That God, something's stirring in their heart after having listened to this message, after having read the scriptures with us today. That God, they know that this dangerous message is true, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me and them. 
So if that's you, would you pray with me right now? And you can pray it out loud if you're at home, or you can pray it quietly if you're here this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I want to know the truth about myself. I want to know the truth about this world. I want to know the truth about eternity. And I don't know where else to go for truth but to you, Jesus. I'm not even sure I can trust this preacher yet, but I do trust your word that whoever comes to you, you will never turn them aside. And so as much as I know how, I admit my sins, I ask you to forgive me, and I receive what you've already accomplished for me at the cross. Today, I commit my whole life to following you, for it's in your name I pray, amen. Now let me pray for the church. Father, I pray over your people today that we will recognize, yes, there is an evil spirit at work in the world. There is a spirit of antichrist at work in the world. But Lord God, greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. For the devil is already defeated and crushed beneath your feet and beneath ours. So, Lord, I pray for us as a congregation, as followers of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we will remember that you are truth and that as much as we are able, we will always speak truth. Lord, may we never use truth as a club to beat people up with, but may we speak and live in truth the way you did showing your amazing love and grace for those who agree and disagree. For it's in your holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I'm so glad you joined us today online. I'm so glad all of you are here today. It's good to see you. So let me just speak a word of blessing over you. May the Lord God in heaven above bless you to live and walk in truth. May he bless you in such ways that every gate and power of hell that is arrayed against you will broken be broken down, and may you trot over your enemies through the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been made more than overcomers through Christ our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you soon.